This episode is brought to you by Bolt and Barrel Oil. Bolt and Barrel is a premium synthetic graphene-infused all-purpose lubricant that will outperform anything on the market. The graphene in Bolt and Barrel's formula creates a microscopic separation in between metal-on-metal contacts. Great for farms, bicycles, power tools, or anything that needs a high-performance lubricant. Bolt and Barrel is a veteran-owned company and available online at www.boltandbarreloil.com as well as select retailers around the country. Check them out on Instagram at Bolton Barrel Oil. Again, that's www.boltonbarreloil.com and use promo code scrolling for 10% off at checkout. This episode has also been brought to you by Cloverstone Digital Group. Cloverstone Digital Group has been in the business since 2003. They've helped everyone from a one-person business with a small budget like myself to national retailers with a $35 million budget. They're helping me with my business and they can help you too. You can find them on Instagram at Cloverstone Digital Group or www.cloverstonedigital.com. They're offering free consultations. Just let them know that Tom sent you. Again, that's www.cloverstonedigital.com or on Instagram at Cloverstone Digital Group. What is up, y'all? What's up, man? Welcome to another episode of Scrolling Through Life, man. I appreciate you guys tuning back in. I got a great guest today, man, Jose Barrario, man. I've known this dude since back in the day when I was back at Rainier Baton when I first got there, man. Uh, and he has been doing <laughs> so many things. We're going to have him uh, uh, tell us a little bit of everything, man. But Jose is a uh, soft veteran, all right? Uh, Ranger Battalion uh, served. Uh, well, you know, I'm gonna let him figure out, uh, 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 fill all that in. All right, but MMA man, he's he's uh, you know dealt with all that stuff, dealt with mental health, uh, and he's got a whole bunch of great things coming up, man. Uh, you know, he's he's retired, right, uh, and just expanding his growth, man. And 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 I'm so excited to hear everything. I haven't talked to him in a while, so a lot of this stuff is gonna be brand new to me too, man. But Jose, man, what's What's up, brother? How you doing, bro? Good, man. Been a while. Good. Man, bro, it's been a little too long, man. Like, we were just talking. Uh, so, last time I saw you was, what, about a year and a half ago, I think it was. I had ran in you and your wife, right, at uh, at the mall here at Bragg. Yeah, at, or at, or at Fayetteville, yep. Yeah. 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 yeah, we were uh, we were there. I was actually, let's see, I don't think I was looking for anything specific. I, I, really, anything to fit. <laughs> is, is, is my issue anymore right. anything that fits because when you when you when you do certain things you live a certain lifestyle your your body's not really designed the way that some of these younger guys are right designed right. anymore <laughs> find, just just finding stuff that fits is is a challenge sometimes so yeah, yeah i think that's what we were doing was just trying to find something that fit me right and Happened to bump into you, bro. Y'all scared the shit out of me because I remember looking at you for a second, man, and I was like, <laughs> like it, it took me a few seconds to kind of like register, you know what I mean? Because I ain't seen you in so long, man. Uh, so y'all don't, so y'all don't even live in this area, right? No, we're uh, we're all the way out in Western Carolina, okay, uh, right where North Carolina meets Georgia and Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains. I graduated okay. high school here and in, in Ranger, North Carolina, of all places. Did the community is called Ranger, North Carolina. Did not know that. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm retired in Ranger, North Carolina, about 45 miles north of of uh, the Mountain Ranger camp. Okay. Mountain Phaser Ranger. And that's where you grew up at. Well, I spent every summer of my life here. Um, I, uh, 
my mom passed away when I was 13. Okay. And I moved over here just before I turned 14 or I'm sorry, just before I turned 15, I was living down in Florida with my siblings and my pop, who was my stepdad and, uh, started getting in a lot of trouble and, and decided that if I wanted a better life, I needed to get away and moved up here and finished up high school up here. Okay. Is that when, so I know you've been married to your wife for, for a while now. Over 20 years, Good, 20 man. years as of uh, this past December. Man, well, congratulations, man. 20 years, is, is it's it's a long time, man. I don't know, I don't know if congratulate, I don't know if that's <laughs> a big congratulations to her for, for being with me that long or putting up with me that long. I, I was just going to say probably putting up with you, right? <laughs> yeah, most likely, yes. I, I would agree with that. I tell you know what, man, I tell everybody this, man, um, for, for women that stick next to their men for 20 years of this, especially of what we have done, bro, it takes a certain type of woman, man, you know? I argue that it's, it's harder on them than it is on us. Cause I mean, oh. the, the op tempo when we're overseas, we don't have time to think about anything. Well, not even that, but, but they it's, it's, it's fun. They, yeah. But, but when they're like, we're in the middle of it. So we know what's going on. They're in the dark. Right. And if they, if we read them on to, to what we do at all, right. They've got to be concerned because they've got to know that we're not going, we're not, not to take anything away from uh conventional army, but we're not out doing presence patrols and stuff. If we're going on target, it's, it's a known bad guy. So we're, we're, we're not maybe going to get into some trouble, maybe right. uh, get in a fight. It's more likely that we are than we're not. So, and they know that before we leave. So the, and, and to them, especially there towards the beginning of, of the conflicts, when we were first going yeah. out, they wouldn't hear from us for a month, month and a half at a time. Oh, easily, man. <laughs> So, so like they're just sitting there wondering what's going on. It's got to be that we preach to them. No news is good news. Right. But like when you don't hear anything, you're worried that the the first news that you're going to hear is a knock at your door by somebody else in a uniform and not necessarily a phone call from, from one of us. So, well, you know, not even that man, but what a lot of people don't understand, especially back then and not even, you know, the beginning of the conflict, but being in special operations back then was a lot different, man. Cause you couldn't talk about, th- you remember like inside those phone booths, it'd be like, you cannot talk about, you couldn't even talk about the weather. Yeah. Like you yeah. couldn't even talk about and the that weather. Was, because- and that was, yeah. Yeah. Because then they might know what region you're in. Right. Um, but, but not only that, I mean, we couldn't even, there were things that we couldn't even talk about. So all of those phone booths, unless we had a satellite phone, were on the conventional military side of the installation. Right. So it wasn't even that we couldn't tell our families about it. We had to be careful what we were talking about because the person sitting to our left and right in the in the booth next to us may not be privy to what we're what we we were liable to talk about or what we know. So right. yeah, I mean it's and and I'll tell you what it was a it was a strange. Ch- uh, change for my last deployment i went with the 82nd uh, just a couple three years ago now yeah almost exactly three years ago i came home from my last deployment oh damn uh, actually i think three years ago exactly yesterday or today so you're but, freshly uh, retired <clears throat> what's that so yeah. you're so you're yeah, very as fresh of retired. Of last, yeah as of may of 2020 okay <laughs> 
But when I went when I went on that deployment, we kept our cell phones and everything. I was like, this is so weird. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was able to chat with my wife from my chew that I was staying in. And, and yeah, it was strange. I was able to call home from the from the phone in my office. Right. It was yeah. It was such a strange thing to me uh, to have that ability. I mean, I even look back on on uh, some of the guys, some of our buddies share pictures now that are declassified and everything. And I'm like, I don't remember that picture being taken. Right. <laughs> like, when did that happen? We weren't supposed to have cameras. What? <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> Somebody, somebody asked me not too long ago. They were like, Hey man, they're like, when'd you take all these pictures? And I was like, not dude. It wasn't until I got to SF. And when I got to SF, I was like, you can have cameras. Like I can, t- I can bring my camera with me. I can take pictures. Like, yeah, right. and I was like, if, if I can, I'm going to like, I never, yeah. like, I want to be able to like, remember all this shit and I, you know, and I, and, and like people didn't understand when I was in SF, when I was taking so many pictures, like they were like, like thinking I was like one of those, like, you know, just like, like, I don't know, man. Like, like I just take pictures of everything. I'm like, no man, you gotta understand. Like in Ranger Battalion, you couldn't have fucking shit. Like nope. you couldn't have nope. nothing. And if you got caught with something, you were on the first thing smoking, going back home. Like there was yeah. no questions asked. And it wasn't even just about, and it wasn't even just about what we were doing. It was about who we were working with exactly. because some of those cats. Exactly. Couldn't show up in pictures and, and stuff. So, no, I mean, not to get too deep into all that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was, there was a lot of reasons that we weren't supposed to have that stuff or couldn't have it. So, yeah, when, when we get to places where we can, it's it's almost like, like, like you said, if I can, I'm going to. Why not? Like, exactly. I, I don't even remember taking the pictures that did, that were taken. Right. And, and, yeah, like I'm like, man, I remember that day, <laughs> but I don't remember that picture being taken. Like I remember those things happening, but I don't remember stopping to take a picture. Right. That's it, man. So let's how let's talk about a couple of things here. Let's let's kind of go back. Take me yeah. back a little bit here. Uh, I know that MMA is is you know huge in your life. I mean, I know, you know what I'm saying, but give us a little bit about yourself. Um, I kind of gave a very poor uh, introduction, uh, but give us a little, uh, you know, good, good introduction about yourself real quick, man. All right. So, um, grew up with my mom and my pop, my stepfather, uh, was the only father I knew for most of my life. Okay. Uh, my mom got really sick with cancer when she was 33. I was about 10 or 11, but we had this really good friend of theirs, uh, named Eddie Bell that was a bouncer at a, and at a pretty well-known bar around the Tampa area. Right. And, uh, one day he showed up, uh, with this video and it was like, you got to watch this guy. And it was the original, the first UFC when it had first come out, he had it on VHS, the bare knuckle stuff. And we sat, yeah. And we sat down. I mean, this is when they were still labeled to hit each other in the, in the junk and, <laughs> and everything else. And the, I think the only two things that weren't allowed at the time was fish hooking and eye gouging. I'm pretty sure were the only two things that weren't allowed because the only thing that's probably saved Hoist Gracie from chemo killing him was him being able to grab his ponytail and hold it, pull his hair. Right. So, uh, the very first one though, I watched it and I just got fascinated with, with martial arts in general. I'd always been fascinated, but, uh, 
then he started offering to teach us. And then they had another friend that was a Taekwondo master who offered to start teaching us. So between Taekwondo and jujitsu being taught out of our barn, not even an actual class, but out of our barn by some family friends, right. uh, a lot of the jujitsu stuff, cause we didn't have mats was on our trampoline, <laughs> but that's where it kind of all started when I was about 12 years old, 12, 13, about 12 years old. And then, uh, fast forward, uh, I was a good kid. Didn't really get in any fights at or, or anything in school. And then my mom passed away when I was 13. Right. And I stopped caring about really anything and uh, started getting course, a lot man. of fights. Was involved in a lot of stuff. Uh, put some things in my body that I shouldn't have. Right. Uh, at the age of 13, I was drunk probably five, six days of the week. Uh, which I never realized exactly how young I was until I had kids that age. I'm like, man, I was doing this and that then. Right. That's wow. And then uh, uh, it was actually because of one of those sibling fights that I got in that I recruiter called me and I just got in a big fight with my little brother and my grandparents who right. I was living with after my mom passed. And uh, recruiter was like, hey, you ever thought of joining the army? I'm like, absolutely. Anything. Get me the hell out of here. <laughs> So, uh, uh, I was probably getting at least one or two fights a week right. before that. So I was, I, I was pretty, uh, I was kind of a, a rough ruffian for a good while. Had a lot of fight experience behind me. Right. Then, uh, joined the army, uh, went to the maps. They said, what do you want to do? I said, my, I literally at the time said my exact words were, what's the hardest thing you have? <laughs> And they said, have you ever heard of that? They said, how many push-ups can you do? I said, I don't know, but the last time I did push-ups for time, I could do like 60-something in a minute. Um, Sit-ups, I could do like 80-something in a minute. They said, how fast do you run? I said, well, I run cross-country in the mountains. So, I mean, I I can run a 4.43 one mile at right. a time in high school. <laughs> so they said, you ever heard of an uh, Army Ranger? I said, yeah, my cousin not really blood cousin, but a good family friend of ours was in Mogadishu with third Ranger battalion. I had heard a good bit about it. So they showed me a video. I signed up, went to basic airborne and rip and rip, uh, class hack from one seven five saw me rolling during the combatives training, got the first Ranger battalion. And within six months, I probably rolled with damn near every private and almost every spec <laughs> forward and the battalion within the first six or eight months I was there. Right. You know how it goes. My special spec forwards, my, my private can whoop your private's ass. Yep. And, and, game. and then when you do, then you end up rolling with their team leader, their spec four or somebody because they're like, Oh hell no. Uh, that, we ain't going to let that fly. So I was telling, uh, so yeah, I got, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, so, so I used to tell people this all the time, man, like, and, you know, and I tell them, I tell them, like, bro, like, I don't know how it is now, but I remember, you know, back when we were going through, you had to be aggressive. Like, that was what being a ranger was about. Like, you, if if a team leader, squad leader got bored and y'all were just sitting around, like, you were fighting. Like, you, like, I remember, you know, uh, team leader or somebody would come in and be like, all right, man, you, you fight and you, you taking off your belt, your bracelets, you know, any jewelry and you just start going at it. And you're just, that was just what it was, man. Like you had to be switched on. You had to be turned on at all the time. You had to be aggressive. You had to be, you had to be a beast, man. You know what I mean? I mean, even as a team leader, even as a team leader, I got, I ended up with 
three or four staples in the back of my head <laughs> because I was in the barracks and two, two spec fours told two, two more, more senior privates to jump me. And they were like, yeah, I don't know about that. But they were like, they were dead set. And then, uh, and then, uh, Johnson, one of the squad leaders, uh, who is now the garrison command sergeant, major, garrison sergeant major at uh, Fort Benning, was was a third ranger battalion's command sergeant major. Uh, told him, get him now. Right. They were like, well, we're not, right. we're not going to turn down an E six uh, weapon squad leader. So they pounced on me, and and uh, I. I choked one and then I rolled an arm bar on the other one. And as I laid back, I smacked my head on the center block wall and, and then, uh, somebody else jumped on me and I thought they were going to, they're like, no, 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 you're bleeding. So they grabbed the back of my head. I thought they were about to jump on me too. They were actually trying to stop me. Just trying to help you out. Yeah. That's yeah, that's how it was, man. It was all it was all good fun, and yeah, you got hurt. Man. You got hurt. You didn't cry about it. It was just it was just part of Ranger Ranger life, bro. That was that's exactly it. That was Ranger life. Like that was it, man. Like motherfucker, bro. I don't know how many times I've seen people's heads just bah, smash on the ground, or you know what I mean, just start bleeding and this and that. You're just like, eh, all right, you know. And, and that was. I just, mean, I remember. I remember seeing. I remember seeing uh, young Rangers. The whole Ranger Down thing, yeah, in Savannah, Georgia, yeah. Well, it was—it's a thing around every Ranger Battalion, but a Ranger Down, and then next thing you know, you got ten Rangers in this big brawl, and you got some young new Ranger that nobody knows that unfortunately gets up in the middle of it, and they're jumping on him too. I've seen. I've seen rangers get beat up by rangers downtown, not realizing that they were other rangers. And then they're like, whoa, 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 I'm a ranger. We just pick them up, dust them off, buy them a couple of drinks, and we're good. Like, nobody gets mad about it. It was just like, oh, well, almost occupational hazard. Right, you know? man. Right. Dude, um, that's funny that you say that, man, because um, I, was, I was talking to Matt Edmond not too long ago, and uh, him and I were talking about how, like, you know, back in the day at uh, Savannah, like I, I remember vividly, man, me and Matt, you know, this was numerous times, but this was just one time. I remember him and I went out and, uh, uh, we didn't end up getting no chicks. So we were like, yo man, let's go to sweet mm-hmm. Melissa's and just get into a fight. And he was like, all right, cool. Let's go. <laughs> and that, and that was just what it was. Like we're bored, we're drunk. Like now we're just going to go fight it out. You know what I mean? We're just going to go find somebody or some two people. level Bravo <laughs> notifications. To report to a bar because a couple of guys got in a situation, <laughs> like holding formations outside of outside of bars and clubs. Guys in guys in shower shoes, ranger panties, and a in a smoke jacket liner right. about to go into a bar and get get in a fight. Right, man, bro. That that is that's just that's just what it was back then, man. Yeah. So, so what year? What year? What year did you get there? <laughs> Uh, late 99. I was the last, oh, wow. uh, rip class of 99. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't want to go too, too far down this, but what the fuck were y'all doing before the war started? Like, seriously. Oh, dude. It was, it was fun. Um, I'll say this. I will say this. 
the the camaraderie. I feel like the camaraderie in Ranger Battalion was tighter before the war started. Really? Because we did every we did everything together. I mean, you, you know how it was when the war started, or when the wars were were going on. We lived with each other so tight overseas that when we came back, it was like everybody to the to every yeah. direction. True. Um, before the war started, we go out of town on training on a training deployment or something. And half the platoon, almost everybody in the platoon that lived in the barracks would go, would all go have dinner together. Our thing was, uh, what was that? Longhorns. It was right there at the intersection of Abercorn and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. So we'd all go there for dinner. We'd have steaks, steaks for dinner before we left. And we'd all go out for some drinks. And then we go on this sucky deployment, this sucky training deployment. Right. Just, just, because we were just, I mean, at the end of it, you were like, yeah, we're badasses. That was awesome. Like, like that was a blast. Right. In the moment you're like, I just don't want to be carrying 800 rounds, a tripod, a freaking two spare barrels and my M4. And I weigh 150 pounds. Right. Like this isn't fun. Yeah. But then when you're done, you're like, man, nobody from high school, nobody else I went to high school is doing this right now. Nobody else came to it. And that's the only reason I, and that's why I'm the only one here. Yeah. But then you come home and it's the same thing in reverse. We come home from deployment and on the way home, everybody be talking about, Hey, Longhorns again, as soon as we get home and we right. all get showered and changed and we'd all go out to eat together uh, again together. And, and that's how it was. I mean, I remember, I remember saying, Hey, I'm going to go, grab something from Baldino's because this was before everybody had cell phones and, and shit and we had yeah. you know, recalls and you used to have to sign in and out at CQ so that they would know where you were if they had to track you down because not everybody had a way of getting a hold of you. Yeah. Uh, so so I'd say, hey, I'm going to run over to Baldino's grab grab some chow and they'd say, alright, hold on, let me uh, I want to go too. And they turn off their video game or whatever it is they're doing. And then we'd have to tell somebody else that we're going because now the person that I was relying on to let them know if I had, uh, if, yeah. if something happened is going with me. So then they got to let somebody know. Next thing we know, we got, we're leaving an hour and a half later with eight to 12 other guys just to go grab subs. Right. Um, right. So that's how it was. Like we did everything together. I can and see that. And and it was very much a work hard, play harder type of mentality, and that was why we got so. That was why we were so rough outside of work too, is because we were just not really adrenaline junkies. But if we weren't doing something dangerous or or outlandish, it was bore, our lives were boring to us. That's actually very true, man. Um, very true. Because uh, I remember, you know. There was a point, I don't know, it was maybe like 04, no, like 05, when motorcycles, like crotch rockets were huge, like, and everybody, like, yeah. and I, I had never- Even the pocket rockets. Yeah, bro, like, I had never ridden on one, and I remember everybody was on it, and I was like, I went and bought a brand new Suzuki GSX-R, bro. Didn't know how to ride it. Like, I'm sitting there, you know, riding out of the fucking dealership, and- it, it, it was the funnest times, man. It was something just to, like, like you said, like, you know, like I was telling somebody before, man, like at Rainy Battalion, your, your deployments for us, you know, because people are always like, oh, man, y'all only deploy for three months. I'm like, yeah, but you understand, man, you're there for fucking goddamn 15 months a year. And I get that. But we're turned on 
all the time for how many years in a row? Like we're turning the fuck on because it never stops. Like we're three months, four months, you know, deployment, but then you come back and you, and you, you know, you get two weeks of, of leave, then you're back in the training and then back deployment and so on and so forth. Well, and Well, they, they, they did a, I can't remember what year it was, but they did a, uh, they looked into how much time we actually spent at home. Right. During the six months between deployments, I think it was uh, just over. I think it was like thirty-two or thirty-four days out of six months that we spent at home with our families. Yeah, the bro. whole rest of that time we were deployed because um, I'll say that we got a lot of time off before the war started. Because once the war, we still had to maintain the proficiency in every one of our mission sets. Right. Even after the war started. Right. So we would be gone for three to six months. Well, really technically six months out of the year. Right. Because you're gone for three, come home for six, gone yeah. for another three. So in that six month period that we're home, we're having a jam. All all the training that we used to do in 12 months. Yeah. And it's six months. So I never thought of that. Like, and then not only that, but we're doing the same number of missions, if not more in a 90 day, 90 to hundred day period, then a lot of conventional forces were doing over their 15 month deployment. Yeah. And it's nothing, I, I'd rather do the three month deployments. Oh, I would sure. I'd rather, I'd much rather do the three month deployments and be gone away from my family for 15 months. For sure. But what they don't realize is that you can't do, you can't keep the op tempo that we uphold that we do in that three months for 15 months. You can't do it. Right. You definitely can't do it and maintain the level of proficiency in the mission sets, the, the skill sets that we had to maintain. Right. You can't do it. No, bro. Um, I remember, I remember there was a year or two, um, that I, uh, that, that I had kind of kept track of that I was gone 200 and some odd days out of the year. Like gone, like, yep. like, like that. I didn't sleep in my bed. Like, you know what I mean? Um, yep. and then I remember for sure there was, I mean, you know, we got multiple deployments, but I remember there was, uh, three deployments where we were doing three missions a day, man. Like yeah. where you didn't have time. Like the, the, I've been on some where we did five. You see what I'm saying? Like, and, and yeah. so, so like when people say to me, oh man, well you got X amount of deployments. I'm like, yeah, you know, they were short, but I don't think you understand the intensity of it, man. Like we, there was times where I, you know, I remember getting in Afghanistan, getting off the plane, breaking down the pallets, getting the fucking ammo, you know what I'm saying? Loading up mags and doing elevators right there on the airfield while the, while yeah. the C-17 that yeah. we just flew on is, is sitting right there and we're doing elevators and flying into a mission. You know what I mean? And the guy and the guys that we're tagging out with are loading up on the same aircraft the that same brought us airplane. back in. Yeah. And, and I remember... And, and I'm about to shout out to somebody, uh, <coughs> Walker. Um, I think he's Sergeant Major now. Walker uh, was our platoon sergeant on one of the, the one of the later deployments that I went on. Um, it was funny. We used to call him Texas Ranger, Walker Texas Ranger, because he's from Texas. Okay, but he. Uh, we got off the aircraft and as we got off the aircraft, our, our sister units getting on and we looked over there and they just look beat down. Yeah, man. Like just run to death. Yeah. And, uh, I remember, I remember our first Sergeant, I can't remember who it was at the time, but I remember our first Sergeant and Walker both saying that is not going to be us. 
when we get off. Because the thing is, is, is what that does to you as the person that's relieving them yeah. that you're like, Holy crap is, am I, you're coming in fresh and in shape. And you're like, is that what I'm going to look like in three months? Am I going to be that miserable in three months? And hats off to him. He said right then, Hey, we will not look like that at the end of this deployment. I will not allow that to happen. And there was times where we go on two, three missions in a night. And then, uh, they'd try and kick us back out after daylight. Like we come back, <laughs> grab some chow, be in bed for an hour and a half. And they're wanting to spin us right back up. And Walker was like, absolutely. Like, where's this guy on the target set? Yeah, yeah no, he's way down here. Technically it's overlapping with the conventional force. We're not doing that. We're not doing that so that you can get more, more bullets on your, on your stuff. Yep. My guys are dead, they're tired. They're going to be completely useless tomorrow night. And it's going to cost lives. It's not happening. Right. So kudos to him. Hats off. Walker was an awesome platoon sergeant. And, and, and yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's how he had to balance it, man. Sometimes it was, you, I mean, there were times where you just sucked it up because the target warranted it. But there were other times when you were just having a, yeah. And then we, we ran ourselves. Yeah, bro. And then, you know, like what, what a lot of people didn't understand, um, um, and I say this all the time and I probably said it in many other podcasts, but, um, there was, so by time I would say it was about Oh eight was the first time I had ever, ever seen Iraq in the daytime. And people don't understand what I mean by that. I'm like, yeah, by that time I had, I think like seven deployments or something like that by, by then. But that was the first time in 08 that I had ever seen Iraq in the daytime. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, bro, we don't work during the fucking day. Like, yeah. like, like, and if we like do, outside of the fob, we'd see the fob right during the day, but everything outside the Kalat buildings and nah. all that other stuff, we didn't know how those people were living for a good while. No, nah, man. I remember, um, the, you know, we had a, a TST, man, a time-sensitive target uh, for a lot of people that don't know what that means. Um, and it was daytime, man. And I was, it, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget this, man. The heat. And I was like, God, this is what it feels like during the day. I was like, yo, fuck. You can see it. <laughs> yeah, bro. And, you know, what people don't understand, man, when you're so turned on all the fucking time, uh, you know, with the deployments and, you know, you're chasing all these bad guys and... You know, for us, we did, you know, I hate using it as kind of sounds, you know, cheesy, but we lived on that edge, man. You know what I mean? We never had time to process nothing. You never had time to really care about your life. You just cared about the guy next to you. You didn't really, like, there was nothing you you were uh, uh, trying to process of, of safety. You were just trying to make sure that you got next to you goes home and you, and the mission gets accomplished. Yeah. And that's all you cared about. So, so I'll say this about when kind of dipping into the mental health yeah. uh, side of things is um, – one of the good re- good things about staying so busy is that you don't have time to look back on things. Right. You don't have time to dwell on. It's almost like the whole uh, Top Gun, uh, Maverick loses Goose, get him back in the seat type of thing. Yep. Uh, staying busy prevents you from from dwelling on the good and bad things that might have happened. It, it keeps your mind busy. And even, even going into retirement, like I didn't think I was ready to retire. I thought I was. And then when they told me it was time, I didn't think it was, I was ready because I, I questioned whether or not I had done enough. 
which is weird because a lot of people, they look at me, uh, especially in the conventional side of, of the army, they've looked at me and they're like, how, how can you think that way? Yeah. But the, the reality yeah. is, is we spend so much time looking forward to the next mission and driving forward that we don't have time to think about the things that we've done, the things that we've been a part of, the lives that we've changed, the lives that we've lost um, until we don't have that next mission to look look forward to. Yeah. So it wasn't until I actually started really getting into the retirement process that I had time to think, but look back and think about the things that I've done, the things that I've been a part of. And, and I was able to come to peace with, with the retirement, right. the retirement thing happening where I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I've left my mark. Right. Uh, there's a number of great leaders coming up through the ranks that I helped shape form and mold and, and mentor. And, and that's my legacy. They are going to continue the work that I'm, that I was doing when I leave. And that was what allowed me to get, have the peace to go ahead and, and transition to retirement as smoothly as I have, because it allowed me to stop thinking about the next army mission and start thinking about the next mission in life. Right. I'm going to hit up on, I'm going to hit up on two things of that real quick, man. Um, one, it's something that Jeff Cotto, uh, you know, Jeff Cotto, uh, he, he had posted something not too long ago. Uh, he had posted some family pictures up and then he, you know, a little caption was how he has been chasing that one last deployment, that one last thing. And it took for his wife to say like, no, like you don't need, you know what I mean? Pretty much like you got to start focusing. And that's when he's, he had said something like that, you know, for guys like us, like we got to understand when it's, when it's done, when it's over, like those days are gone. Like now you got to start focusing on yourself, your family, your loved ones, your wife, you know what I mean? Give them the time that was lost before. Um, well, well, my body actually told me. <laughs> my body was like, hey, we're done. I'm, but, bro, I'm but with I'll you, you on that. <laughs> but you know what the real, you know what the real eye opener was um, for me was Sergeant Major Barreras. Okay. Oh, oh gunny. Yeah. And um, sometimes we think about and that's and that perfect, perfect ranger mentality. That man is, was, and is still a legend to us guys like us. And he was out there chasing chasing that monster, just like all of us were as rangers, and even as a high level command sergeant major, he just couldn't. He had to be there. Right. And, and, and I love him to death for it. Sets such a great example for young soldiers. Right. Uh, Cause he didn't have to be there. He didn't have to be in that situation that, that took his life. Right. But that was the great leader that he was, is that he, he had to be there with his, with his soldiers and, and the great ranger that he was, that he was going to lead from the front. And that's where we have a hard time breaking off is, is deciding when it's time for us to, to stop leading from the front and let somebody else take that position. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been there. I'm not saying that at all. Right. The man was doing exactly what he was meant to do. Right. But that's, but that was one of the things that made me start thinking like realizing that no matter high ranking we are, no matter what our position is, we're not, 
we're not beyond the same fate. So, so yeah, when, when that started happening, I'm like, man, is this going to be, is that one last deployment going to be the last deployment? So in the back of my mind over there, I was like, even as a first sergeant, I was like, man, is this going to be it? Every time I left, every time I went up, uh, started to go out of the wire, I was like, all right, let's do it. But, but every time in the back of my mind was was hey brother you're not you're not beyond the same fate that's the thing though man i think you know one we are like like guys like us we're in the uh uh in our field for a reason you know what i mean we're just bred we're just bred a certain fucking way like you know like i'm not trying to say we're we're untouchable or this and that but we are definitely cut from a different motherfucking cloth like that's yeah plain and fucking simple like we are you know what i mean um sometimes it takes losing a hero one of our own heroes like marty barreras yeah for us to realize that we're not right and that's and that's essentially what happened was it uh Losing, losing one of my heroes uh, is what made me realize that that I'm not untouchable, especially in the conventional force. Because when you get into the conventional forces, and because we stand out, and yeah. and and we tend to, you you almost have that feeling even more when you're in the conventional forces because you you you're used to doing so much more, right? And yeah, it's. I was telling. So, um, I was, I was telling somebody this before, man, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but I'm pretty sure just us talking and knowing you that you, that you probably feel the same way. Um, people don't believe me when I tell them this and, and, and I don't know, it's, it's not until they hear it from other Rangers or like we have this conversation when I tell them, um, yes, I was scared my first deployment. I was scared the first time I got there in country. Like, yes, of course. Cause it's, it's combat. You know what I mean? Of course I'm scared, but it got to a point where there was no fear, like because you're I, I, inoculated, huh? You're inoculated, right? It gets to the point where you're not running away from gunfire; you're running towards it, right? And 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 people don't understand. I'm like, you know, they're like, so you were never afraid going in or this, and I'm like, bro, like I'm not gonna lie to you, man. Like none of that shit really, like it, it, it never sat with my mind like it like yeah. i never got to a door and a matter of fact i remember we used to fight to who would go in first <laughs> yeah yeah yep. like, i remember so so my first deployment the very first deployment first range of time went on during this was uh they left just before the first of the year 2002 right. and uh i remember because my first daughter was born December 14th of 2001. I was at the time, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas's, Tony Thomas's uh, driver at the battalion. Right. His, uh, and Sergeant Major Greenways. And, uh, and I remember, I remember thinking, man, I'm not going to get to go on this deployment because my wife's pregnant. And they told me, uh, they told me you're not deployable for at least 10 days after your after your child is born and i'm like well damn these guys are leaving without me yeah and then they they got the call they said they finally got the call that they were leaving <clears throat> i think it was like december 26th right after christmas was 
when they were started to load the first birds. Right. And I came in with all my stuff. And Colonel Thomas is like, what are you doing, Barrero? Uh, I said, <laughs> sir, I'm, I'm going. Yeah. And he's like, no, you're not. You're going to stay home. You're going to stay here. You're going to take care of your wife and that baby that, they, that you have. And I was like, sir, like, this is, you're going to, I'm going to miss this seriously. And uh, he, I remember him telling me he had the foresight. He knew he had so much experience that he knew. He said, this isn't going to be the last one. You're going to have another shot. Yeah. And I was like, and I re- remember kind of not rolling my eyes to the battalion commander because that would have got you Rub. hammered. <laughs> but I remember in, in my mind going, yeah, right. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, but yeah, uh, um, those nerves though, it's, it's, it's just, it's a lot like getting in a cage right? where you know when the nerves stop is when that cage door closes yeah. and the ref says fight. All of a sudden you're not scared anymore. You're not nervous. You're just there to do what you're there to do. Right. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Like you're getting ready for the deployment. You're getting all amped up. And is it, ner- is it fear or is it ang- uh, anxiousness? Is it anxiety? Uh, I, I argue it's probably a little bit of anxiety and that's not necessarily fear. You're right. anxious to get there and, and start doing what it is that you do. Uh, it's, it's a lot the same when you get into a cage with another person. The only difference is you're not worried about them shooting you. Right. You get in there. <laughs> so you're right. And um and it's funny that you say that, man, because I love fighting, but I always say this. Every time I watch a UFC fight, I go, Man, who the fuck wants to get into a ring knowing that they can get knocked the fuck out? Like, I'm all about getting to a fight on the street, you know what I mean? Like if it's if it's if it's not <laughs> planned. But like and I guess you know, you just said it perfectly. It's, it's, you train for it, you train for it. By the time you get in there, things change where, you know, I'm not a fucking trained fighter. So for me to get put into an octagon and be like, you're going to fight, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, like the mentality would be a little different. You know what I mean? Those nerves would be a lot well, different. <laughs> well, well, think about that though. Um, why are Rangers so confident going into a building? Because they've trained fucking, because they've done it over and over. trained for it, right? right. Yeah. We train for it. We know that we've trained more and harder than the individual that's on the other side of that door. Right. Right. It's the same thing when you get in a fight on the street. You know as a ranger that you have more training than the average person on the street. So right. you're not necessarily worried about getting in a fight, a street fight. Right. When you get into a cage... I can tell you that I've never been beaten up in a cage more than I've been beaten up during a fight camp leading up to the night of the fight. Really? The easiest night, the easiest day of a fight camp leading up to a fight is the day of the fight. Oh, wow. That fight, because my fight camps are ideally six to eight weeks long. Okay. That means that I have at least a, a hard sparring day, one to two days of, uh, out of the week leading up to it. So I have anywhere between six and 16 fights, hard right. fights beforehand leading up to that fight. And I can guarantee you that the guys that are helping me train for the fight, they're not worried about losing. They're not worried about being conservative and they're running out of energy because they're fighting me for a minute and a half to three minutes 
and then they get out. Right. And then another sparring partner comes in and works me for another three, <laughs> three minutes. So right. they're only, they get to go full throttle on a guy that's probably already gone two, three rounds. So they're beating the crap out of you. And then the night of the fight, that that's the easiest night because this the guy that's on the other side is just as tired as I am. So you're just relieved. <laughs> so you're just relieved to get yeah. in the octagon and be like, man, I'm just ready to fucking get this fight on. <laughs> that's how you. Uh, a lot of times the weight cuts worse than the fight too. I'm just like, man, right. I'm so glad I can eat pasta and <laughs> all the stuff that I want. Get the fuck out of here, bro. The way you looking don't look like you eating anything fucking unhealthy, man. <laughs> Bro, I'm, I eat. Yeah, no, I do. I eat. I eat. And right now, I'm probably in the worst shape I've been in in 20 years. But, but uh, I just had back surgery though last week or two weeks ago. So, how how were you maintaining? So you were doing a lot of the uh, like range rendezvous fights and you know battalion fights, uh, stuff like that. How I mean. So you were pretty much, were you fighting MMA shit on the side while you were at? No, they went, they went lettuce because, uh, uh, Admiral McRaven. Oh, sorry. No, you good. Sasa. Uh, so Admiral McRaven was the, uh, the SOCOM commander, uh, JSOC commander and then SOCOM commander for a while. And he'd actually put out a policy letter that we were not allowed to fight. If we were in the special operations community, we were not allowed to fight in the civilian side, which is a big reason that Tim Kennedy ended up leaving also. Because he went National Guard, right? they're paying. Yeah. Yeah. SF National Guard out of Texas. Yep. So the thing is, is the Army Recruiting Command is paying NASCAR drivers and funny car drag race uh, drivers and other athletes to wear the Army logo but they won't let soldiers go compete professionally who are a lot of times, I mean, Tim Kennedy was at one point in the top five in the world in his weight division as a middleweight. Oh, wow. Um, I did not know that. But, but we weren't, we weren't able to compete against people that we were probably better at than that were making not great money, but good money doing it. Right. Uh, they could have paid us or not even paid us. They could have just let us do what we wanted to do and just keep the winnings as a, as a bonus. And, and not had to pay all these professional athletes to, to wear the logos and stuff. But, uh, but General McRaven didn't want to do it. And I understand why, because they put so much money into us as individuals, uh, training us and everything that if we get hurt doing that type of stuff and we're non-deployable, that's, that's a liability. Not only that, but if, uh, if we hurt somebody really bad and, and a paid fight, it's not going to come out that, that this fighter beat up that fighter. It's going to be special operations soldier maims right. professional fighter, blah, 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 because we're trained differently. And, right. and we are because, I mean, I was training with some professional uh, UFC fighters, uh, prominent, pretty prominent names. I'm not going to drop names unless you want me to. Nah, nah, but, man, go ahead. <laughs> but, I, uh, well, Chris Lieben. Okay. Uh, I was training with him out in Hawaii, and Chris Lieben. It's funny. He and I actually went to airborne school together. Okay. He was in the army for a little bit, and they got kicked out because he actually joined the army trying to get away from trouble, and then the trouble found him in the army, and, and they they kicked him out because he had to go to court and stuff. But uh, I was training with him out in Hawaii, and uh, a very prominent UFC. Uh, or uh, MMA coach, Robert Fallis, who unfortunately took his own life about three and a half years ago, uh, was there. And uh, 
he, him and Lieben were talking about me, I guess, while I was uh, sparring with somebody. And Lieben says, hey, watch this. He says, Jose. And I turned and looked, and before I got all the way turned around, he chucked something at me, and I just reached up and grabbed it. Right. And he said, see, the guy's nuts. And it was a, a, a practice, one of those plastic knives. Yeah. And he said, see, didn't even care what it was. He's just going to catch it. Psycho. <laughs> but, but he tell he tell people, yeah, like this guy, uh, even a real good friend of mine that I trained with in Florida, it was like, yeah, I mean, we might piece him up in the gym. We might be better than him in here where there's rules. Right. But outside, it's not something you want to do because it's, and there's no rules involved. I'm a completely different fighter. It's, I'm able to flip that switch. And that was, that was always my niche in Ranger Battalion though, was, was, I never got to go to all the shooting courses. It was anytime there was a combatives course, Barrero got sent. Right. Anytime there was a demolitions course, Barrero got sent. I was like the Wreck-It Ralph of Ranger Battalion. Yeah, I know. Um, I remember seeing you, every single fighting thing that we had, you were like the center. Like everybody was there. You know what I mean? Like, hey, man, we're about to see him fucking fight. And I remember one particular uh, rendezvous. Um, man, I can't remember what year it was, but I remember we were down at uh, uh, Benning and I think I, I think I know what the story there was. Um, well, so like I remember there were dudes that were like it was word that you were there. You know what I mean? And I remember there was word that people were like trying to come at you. And I was like, yo, I got to go see this motherfucking shit. <laughs> like, matter of fact, I think I missed my soccer. I think I was supposed to play soccer that day. And I was like, ah, fuck this shit. <laughs> I was like, we're about to go fucking watch this fucking fight right quick. <laughs> I think, I think that was the year that I ended up in the hospital with a really nasty contusion on my leg. Cause I was, it cause was, I was doing, it was cause I was doing the combatives tournament and the boxing tournament. It was. At the same time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I do remember that. Cause I, I had, uh, I had gotten a contusion on my leg, uh, a hematoma. Yep. Really nasty hematoma on my leg during the combatives tournament. During the combatives finals. Yes. And then during the boxing finals, uh, I got in there and, and the guy and I, the guy that I was fighting, who was also a professional fighter, yep. uh, Sanchez or, uh, no Santana. Uh, he and I stepped in together and we collided shins and my leg almost exploded. Yes, I do remember and, that. And yeah, he and I, he, he was peppering me up, but he said that every time I hit him, he saw stars, but he got the win because I couldn't continue because of that hematoma on my leg. They, I actually spent the night in the hospital that night because they thought they were going to have to lance my leg open because I was, I was on the verge of having compartment syndrome in my, in my shin. What was that? 06, right? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that was like yeah, summer, was. summer of 06, I think. Yeah, I think it was because the next battalion competition that we had, I ended up in the hospital again because I broke my leg. Uh, Maybe that's during the finals. And I won. That was a, that was back home. That, I was just going to say that one was back home. I do remember I broke, that one. I broke my leg. I broke my leg the first 30 seconds of the fight. I kicked the guy as he was shooting in and, and I broke my, my tibia on his hip. On his yeah. hip bone. So as he shot in, I stepped back onto that broken leg and, and we fell back into my guard and I pulled him in and I was like, uh, I think his name was Ellison. I said, Hey, uh, I think my leg's broken. And we kind of stopped. There was a little pause between the two of us. Yeah. And, uh, he said, are you serious? I said, and I crossed my feet to, to hold close guard. And as I did, I felt my shin flex. And I said, Oh yeah, it's broken. He said, Oh shit. You want to quit? Do you want to stop? And I said, no, let's just keep going, bro. If, I, if, if it bothers me, I'll tap. So we kept going. 
And uh, I was winning the stand up since it was finals. It was wasn't points based. It was based on judges. Yeah. Uh, I got the. Uh, I was winning the stand up. He got the takedown, but he couldn't do anything. And I actually had to give him a mount because I couldn't use my legs to sweep him because my leg was broken. Yeah. So I actually had to give him the mount so that I could use my upper body to roll him. So I ended up eventually we had 30 seconds left. I remember uh, Mike corner saying 30 seconds. So I gave him the mount. I was able to roll him and then I passed his guard mounted and then he gave me his back. So that gave me enough to win the match. And, uh, uh, Troy Thomas, Lieutenant Thomas was the, uh, the referee. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna sit right here for a second. He said, I need you to get up. I said, uh, yeah, I'm not getting up. My leg's broken. He's like, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said like, well, can you get up so I can raise your hand? I was like, Oh, I won. Okay. <laughs> so he picked me up, raised my hand and I sat right back down and the medic came over there. Like what's going on? I was like, my leg's broken. They said, you sure? I said, yeah, watch. And when I did, I showed him my leg flex and they're like, yeah, don't do that again. And then oh, laid me back down, shit. gave me a couple of fentanyl yeah. lollipops. <laughs> shit, man. That was, that was the year I actually deployed. I actually deployed on that broken leg three weeks later. So I, maybe that's, so I remember summer of O's or one of them, we, so I'm thinking summer of 06 because we deployed that September. So that's that the, was probably the one. That's probably the one. That because, was probably the one. Yep, because we because yeah, it happened because that I summer. deployed on a broken leg. They told me I wasn't going to go. They put me in a cast up to my hip, and uh, I they they told me I wasn't going to deploy, and I cut my cast off at the knee. Yep. About after less than a week, and uh, with a steak knife, <laughs> saw yep. that thing off, and uh, I told them I was like, so am I deploying on a on a cast? And they said, you're not deploying. I said, yeah, I am. You can cut this thing off me or I'll cut it off. And they had some cat come and fit me for this like exoskeleton brace. Right. It had a shank that go, went across the bottom of my foot and it had a hinge at the ankle. So it, it could take the, 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 uh, it could support my leg right. without putting pressure on the bone and I could slip my boot over it. And I remember like, uh, Mike Ironman was my squad leader at the time. I was one of his team leaders and, uh, yeah, we go out on mission. I'd be running around with this brace on underneath my uniform, come back and pop a couple of pills and put my leg up and put it on ice because my leg would be swollen as hell. Bro. Yeah, that was that year. But that's, again, I didn't do anything more than any other ranger would. I mean, that was just our mentality. Like, I'm not staying home. It's it's so funny you say that, man. Um, so, you know, finally now I'm dealing with all my injuries, like, like everything, like finally now. And... Um, it wasn't, so I started seeing somebody from my back about maybe about 2010, but I had gotten injured back in like, oh, fucking goddamn six or eight or some shit. But it, I didn't say nothing because I mean, who, who does? But I remember getting tortoise shots before every single mission. And I remember the medic saying, hey man, like all this is doing is just, is just co covering the shit up. Like whatever you fucked up is still fucked up. So you gotta be careful. And I'm like, bro, like I'm not missing out on a mission. Like you're just gonna give me what the fuck I need yeah. to give me so I can get the back out there. Um, and you know, I remember the surgeon here was like, you know, why didn't you get this taken care of? I'm like, and not be deployed and not go on a mission and miss out. Like, nah, there ain't no way, man. Like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to keep going on a mission. And that was just the way it was in Ranger Battalion, man. Like, you had to, like, I don't know what it was, man. It's just maybe missing out for, like, you know what I'm saying? Fear of missing out. I don't know what it was. You just wanted to be in a fight. It was just something that you felt like you had to do. 
Well, I'd say part of it was uh, same thing that a lot of us have been dealing with is the stigma of, I mean, there were some cats out there There was, they went their entire careers. They were blessed and never had any, any injuries. Right. They don't understand. Right. They, they, they don't understand what it's like to have to push through our training with significant injuries right. and God bless them. I mean, that's, that's not anything on them. They just never had, I mean, you don't understand until you have to go through it. Of course. Uh, but, but the stigma of, of being on profile in range battalion wasn't a good one. No. And then the same thing, and the same thing with, with the mental health aspect of it was if you got to go talk to somebody, you're weak. And, and I think that's what a lot of it was also was that we, we didn't want to talk to anybody because we didn't want that stigma tied to us. Right. We didn't want to be on profile because we didn't want that stigma tied to us. Right. So we would just push through right. injuries. I spent a lot of time on profile, but I also spent a lot of time breaking profiles. Right. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, of course. So it was, I mean, it, it was that or you leave. And, and again, it wasn't, it wasn't a harsh thing. It was just what was best for the unit. And, and you had to understand that and sometimes, Sometimes we we suck it up and we keep pushing until we can't anymore because, like, we want to do it, but we also don't want that stigma tied to us. But I think that a lot of times that was self-induced stress. That was stuff that we put on ourselves because, I mean, you look back on it like the, the Command Sergeant Major Grecos and uh, the Sergeant Major Merritts and all them that are now like, hey, get yourself taken care of. Right. Um, right. I'm a huge advocate of it. Like, you've got it. You need an outlet. I mean, how many of us have we seen, uh, take our own lives? Right. Because we would rather take our own lives than let somebody see us, uh, know that we were dealing with issues, which, which is, I mean, when, when, when it comes down to it, I try to preach to anybody that I know from our community that's having a hard time that surrender is not a range word. Right. Like taking your own life is, is con- contradictory to the Ranger Creed that right. we we're supposed to live and die right. by. Um, let something else take your life. Not that, not, not you. Like, you know, but it's, 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 we're, we're such a different breed of people, man, that, that even when we're at our lowest, at our darkest, like you, don't want to reach out for help because it's just who we are. Like I could do this by myself, but you, you know, like for me, you know, I can only speak for myself, but, um, I never reached out for help because I was like, I could do this by myself. Cause, cause I'm this fucking big, bad dude. Who's, you know, I got this, I got this, but like you never realize till it gets so bad that you're like, man, like I can't do this. And for me, it was, you know, um, seeing my brothers and, you know, commit suicide and, 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 you know, like close friends, man. And I'm like, fuck, like I'm going down this path. Like it's, it's bad for me right now. Like it's, I need to get some help before I lose total fucking control. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's seeing the aftermath of that, what, what their families go through that kind of keeps us. I'll tell you what, uh, I had one, one moment where I was right at my tipping point and my family's what saved me, like kept me from doing anything dumb because like as much as I, as much as, as hard as things were for me to deal with, right. I thought back to how hard it would be for my daughters and my wife to deal with, 
with me being gone and, and what they would have to live with knowing that I did that to myself when they were there and then potentially having to deal with them feeling like they were a failure too, because they weren't able to, to pull me through it. And my, my, my wife and kids have been really my saving grace through everything. And then the fighting has also helped because that's the fighting in the gym. Uh, just, just training in the gym, not necessarily just the fighting, but the fitness aspect of it has also saved my life because it's, it's, it's my outlet. That's where I get to burn the aggressions instead of, instead of beating myself up in my head. Right. I go to the gym and beat my body up more. Uh, but as bad as it hurts physically, sometimes to get in there, the, the mental pain of not being there is worse. So I'd rather deal with the physical pain than the mental pain. It's, it's, let me, uh, let me ask, let me ask you this, if you don't want me asking you, um, when you were at your, you know, darkest man, when things were, you know what I mean? when things weren't going right, shit like that, like what was all going on? Like, you know, did you see it? Um, was it your old lady telling you? I don't hey, man. do. So the big thing is I don't do well with, uh, being by myself. Yeah. And at the time my family had moved away to get ahead of me to where we were going next. Right. So I was, I was, I was by myself for a little bit, not necessarily by myself. And I had friends there with me. I was actually staying with some friends, but it wasn't my family. And then also, uh, so I was actually bullied, believe it or not. I was bullied growing up, uh, at school. Um, yeah, that is kind of hard. I joined the army. I was 143 pounds. I was a scrapper in high school, but I wasn't a, I wasn't a, uh, I wasn't who I am now. Right. Yeah. I was the same way. And I got, yeah, I mean, I got picked on. I got rejected a lot. Yeah. Um, my wife and I have known each other since we were about eight to nine years old. I got picked on. We went to different schools and I got picked on so bad that she got messed with by good friends of hers. (laughs) They went to school with me. Right. For liking me. Really? Um, yeah, it was that bad. Uh, so I spent my entire adult life striving to be the last person that anybody would ever want to pick on the last person in a room that anybody would ever want to mess with. Uh, and at the time I was dealing with a, a couple of peers in the unit that I was in, uh, and the regimental command sergeant major, I won't drop any names. Uh, but, uh, these peers of mine, uh, I guess saw me as a threat and, and wanted essentially to get rid of me right. and started talking smack. Essentially, uh, I was in, I was in a really, well, we'll just say I was in the old guard. Okay. And, uh, the company that I was the first sergeant for went from being arguably the lowest performers there to sweeping. So there there was a competition about every six months, what they called Mateps, which is where they test the regiment comes down and they test each one of your your teams and the unit, your casket team, your escort uh, platoon, and your right. firing teams, uh, your rifle uh, teams to see who's the best in the regiment. Right. And we went from having the lowest marks when I got there to sweeping. The entire thing. That's fucking. We had the good, best man. casket team, the best, uh, the best uh, marching platoon, the best firing teams, all the way across the board. We had every streamer on our guide on. 
Right. And some, they, some of the my peers went and told them that it was because I demanded that they be the best. Right. Not because, not because my guys wanted to be the best. And to me, that stole that from them. Right. That took away from their accomplishment. All I did was talk the commander into giving them the time to to do what they needed to do, what they wanted to do. Of course. But I also was getting rid of a couple of bad eggs, and I hate the command climate surveys because it kind of gives bad soldiers or or lower performing soldiers an outlet to kind of bitch rather than yes. talk about how things could get better. Right. And some of them, I mean, anybody that knows how those things work, know that you got to get at least eighty percent of your unit to to. Uh, complete the surveys for them to get any feedback. And then also you all, you also know that it takes, it's like, like you got to pull legs to get everybody in there to complete those things. Yes. So you very rarely get a hundred percent, uh, uh, everybody that completes those surveys, which means that some of those people that know how that system works can get in there and log in multiple times and fill that thing in multiple times to make things look horrible or great. However, they want to turn it. Right. And, uh, yeah, I had a couple of them get on there that self admitted to it. Like other soldiers came and told me, Hey, like, this is what happened. Oh, uh, wow. But by that time, the regimental sergeant major had already made up his mind and was coming down on me pretty hard and took my mother's day away from my wife that we were supposed to go do something together in DC and, and I uh, was uh, dealing with that. So essentially what it, what it amounts to is that I spent my entire adult life not being the person that the last person that anybody would want to bully. Right. And I allowed, and I take ownership of that. I allowed myself to be bullied right. by people that I was serving with. Because sometimes we forget, sometimes a lot of people don't realize that in uniform, that rank means more than what you could do, what you're capable of on the street. And sometimes, unfortunately, you get some people that will treat you in a way that they would never treat you on the street because they know their rank saves their ass. And, and like you were saying earlier, a lot of times that uniform and being, being an active duty is, it shackles you. Yeah. You reserve some of your attitude and, 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 and how you react to a lot of things because you're worried about the backlash of UCMJ and all that other stuff. Right. So I told a major, uh, I was like, I started counting down the day. So I was out and he's like, well, what do you, what are you going to do when you get out? Essentially he was saying, I'm, I'm Rambo and I'm going to have a hard time transitioning. And I was like, I'll tell you what I'm going to do the day I clear. I said, uh, I'm going to be standing in the parking lot with a knife, just slashing tires and and, daring people to come out and say something to me is what I'm going to do. He's like, it's like that. I was like, Oh, sometimes absolutely. It's definitely like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, um, I hate to say that being a retired Sergeant major. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I mean, bro, the thing is, man, like some people just confuse shit. You know what I'm saying? Like you just said, the rank, like they think, they think the rank is, is it gives them all the fucking power to treat you any fucking type of way. And, and like it, yeah. it took me a while and, and I know I'm in the military and I know I, you know what I'm saying? You got to take what it is and it, it, it is what it is the majority of the time. 
But it wasn't until just just recently, man, I'd say within the last like two years, year and a half that I was just like, yo, I'm a grown motherfucking man. Like, you're not going to like you're not going to talk to me like that, man. Like, I get it. But you're well, not. That's how it was in Ranger Battalion. You could be that way in Ranger Battalion. Right. Like, because because you were never alone when you went out. So if somebody saw a senior rank messing with you out on the street and you whooped that person's ass or something happened on the street because that other person was drunk, you had somebody that would vouch for you the next day if that person decided they wanted to put. But also Ranger leadership was mature enough to know when they came back to work the next day and they realized that they had messed up, not to bring it up. It was like, oh, I messed up or I messed with the wrong person. Let it go. But, (coughs) um, yeah, yeah. I always told, so, so the problem is, is that a lot of times senior ranks have this impression that, that lower ranks are there to work for them. And because, and, and I always hated having soldiers say as they were leaving, or even now they, they reach out to me on, uh, on social media and they're like, Oh, working for you was some of the best times or, or working with you was some of the worst times. And, and I'm like, Hey, look, you didn't look work for me. We worked with each other. Right. And if anything, right. if anything, as a leader, I worked for you. I worked for you. And any leader that tells you different is a shitty leader. Right, right. Because my entire purpose as a senior enlisted, as a first sergeant or a sergeant major, is to make sure that soldiers are taken care of, to make sure that younger leaders are taking care of their soldiers. That right. is my first and foremost priority. And then on top of that is standards and discipline. Make right. sure that standards and discipline are maintained. So, you, yes, you're going to be taken care of, but do what you're supposed to do and you will be taken care of. Um, but sometimes you get those senior ranks that they just get on that, they get that pedestal on yeah. and, and they can't fathom that soldiers do things because you're just a, a person that instills, that inspires them that they want to do well for, because to them soldiers have only always done well because they were afraid of consequences or there was backlash for not doing well, as opposed to they just genuinely, genuinely wanted to do good or because they wanted to impress you or because you inspired them to do better. That was always the type of leader I tried to be, but in that type of situation, the, the dark time I, I allowed myself as a grown ass man in a senior enlisted position right. to to be bullied in a way that I hadn't been bullied since like middle school. And that's how I felt. And and it took me back. And and looking back on it now, I take ownership of it because I shouldn't have allowed that to happen to me. But but that's where I was. That's where my mind was was not it had nothing to do with things that I'd done in the army or anything. It was it was because I was suddenly thrust back into a mindset that I hadn't been in since I was a young teenager. Uh, And it just threw me all off and then my family wasn't there to help me through it. And, and sometimes that's what it is. I mean, I even have, I do have days, dark days still where like just, I mean, just three days ago, uh, first casualties that we took Roberts Ridge. Uh, I had a heart, uh, I had a a couple of moments during that day where where I kind of dwelled on, on my buddy Mark Anderson, right, and, right. and those times were hard. But the one, the the time that really got me was was that time when when I let some senior leadership get down on me. So I guess my message to any young active duty soldiers that might be uh, 
chiming in or, or tuning into this is is uh be you be true to you um know what your worth is and know what you contribute and as long as you're trying to be a positive example and a shining light uh to any and everybody don't let anybody else bring dull that light it's um, if anything <laughs> and shine brighter right that man dude you know just just kind of hearing that hearing that right there like like i could tell that was a uh, like i could just hear it that, that was uh a tough time man like it's 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 never easy man like especially when you're getting you know when you're allowing it to happen and especially when it's happening from your own peers that that you would think should not be doing that shit you know what i mean Oh, oh I, I heard I heard that it was guy that that came to me and and at times would ask me if I was okay and at times it was like 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 we were I thought we were friends right. and then I come to find out this guy had actually stabbed a couple of us in the back and I'm like dude like and then and then the other one is that was a word uh, Sergeant Major was taking the word of a guy that ultimately was being medically retired and had never really done anything on the infantry side to include have his EIB infantry first sergeant with like 26 years in and would tell soldiers that the EIB is not the end all be all of being, being infantry, like talk it down because he could never get his. Of course. Um, and then he, and then come to find out after I left, he got kicked out instead of being retired out for abusing his wife. Now again, that's hearsay, but it came from a pretty credible source. Right. I mean, I would believe I believe shit like that because it's it's usually 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 motherfuckers like that are the ones that are fucked in you know shit bags or fucking up anyway. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I don't know if you kind of felt this way. Um, of what I'm about to say, but like, I being Ranger Battalion man, um, was a spoiler for me. Um, I, I was spoiled. I was spoiled with the leadership. Uh, I was spoiled with the, my peers, my brothers that were, you know, to, to my left and right. I was very fucking spoiled, man. Like when I was in Ranger Battalion, I like, I'm not saying there wasn't leaders that didn't care, but I know this, like somewhere in your chain of command, there was somebody who's going to put somebody in check if they weren't taking care of you. Like plain yeah, and simple. Absolutely. If your squad leader is not taking mm-hmm. care of you, your platoon sergeant is going to make fucking sure that he's doing his job. Whether he likes you or doesn't like you, you will be taken care of. Like absolutely. Um, and there was always and 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 there was always two sides of a story, and they were always willing to at least hear always, both man. sides before they pass judgment. Always, man. Um, you know, for me, like when I got to SF. It was a culture shock, man, Jose. Like, like, but like, bro, it was it was so different for me. Like, um, I, put it like this: I had to learn three years in that I cannot be a team player anymore. That I had to take care of myself, and it was hard. Mm. It was a hard pill for me to swallow because I'm a team player. Like, I'm a guy that will give up everything for my team. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I always tell people all the time, I gave up my fucking marriage and my life and my, my wife because I put everything into this fucking shit. You know what I mean? I sacrificed that stuff. I did that. But I was always for the team. I was always that guy for the team. You know what I mean? Whatever I got to do for the team, I'm there. Uh, but when I got to SF, I learned, yo, you can't do that, man. You got to start taking care of yourself. Like, 
nobody here gives a fuck about you. Nobody's going to take care of you. Nobody's going to look out for you. Nobody's going to make sure you're taken care of. Nobody cares what's going on in your life because they only care about their next position, that next rank. You know what I mean? That's all they care about. And and that was so hard for me to to grasp. And people would get tired of me saying, well, back in Ranger Battalion, you know, my leadership at Ranger Battalion, my leadership at Ranger Battalion. And I'm like... And I remember somebody telling me, man, like, like Tom, like, bro, you got to like, let go of that shit, man. Like, like mm-hmm. it's, it's those days are over. Now you got to start taking care of yourself. Like you have to take care that, of yourself. I got that. I got that in RTB as a, as a ranger instructor. It was one of those, uh, uh, cause that was my first unit where I was outside of regiment. Right. And I was like, no, nah, I'm sorry, but like, that's my only basis for comparison. Like, I don't know anything else right now. Right. And, and it, and it was, and it was the better half of my entire career. So even once I left, it was like the majority of my experience. I had three times more experience in Ranger Battalion than I had in any other unit that I'd served in. So I was like, like you got to understand that's, that's who I am. And that's what I'm instilled in. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you looked on the, uh, uh, on the paper I signed for you. Did you notice that the address? No, not yet. (laughs) No, no, is, uh, I did not. So any any ranger buddies that are out there uh, that that want to stop by, we're building a house. Uh, our our address is one seven five Suasponte Way. You can't miss it. Bullshit. Look up, look up dead serious. Look up Ranger North Carolina. <laughs> Believe that or not, it's it's uh, sub community of Murphy North Carolina. And our address oh, is one seven five Suasponte Way and Ranger North Carolina. Did y'all get to pick? I mean, since I'm, I'm assuming y'all building. Oh yeah, I, I I bought 41 acres and and we we cut our own road onto it, so it's a private road. Yo, that's which is dope. another funny thing because on the road sign it says private, PVT, because <laughs> it's a private road. Yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, Way, and our address is 175. And that's the correlating dope. addresses are we've got we've got four other uh, four other uh, plots that are are off on the left hand side of that road. It's seven five. 175, 275, and 375, Suasponte Way. That's dope, man. You know, a lot of people don't understand, man. Like, that's where, um, you know, we got a saying back at Rainbow Sign. This is where I grew up. You know, like when you get asked, like, hey, man, where'd you grow up at? Or I grew up at first. I grew where up you at from? second. Right. Where are you from? First Rainbow <laughs> yeah. Time. Yeah, yep. man. So, like, I always tell people, man, I'm like, you know, like, uh, I, um, so I went regular army first, but I always tell people, man, like I, you know, regular army prepped me for that ranger life, but ranger battalion is where I grew up as a man, as a person, as an individual, you know what I mean? Uh, that's where I became me. Like it, it, it literally became, it defined me who, for who I am today. You know what I mean? Um, it was a huge part of my life, man. Uh, so even till today, man, like, you know, I've been away from Massa, uh, from uh, Ranger Battalion now for 10 years because I left there in 10. So, but until today, I still go, man, back at Ranger Battalion because it's just, it's just what it is, man. Like, I never had the leadership that I had uh, the way that I did back at Ranger Battalion. I never had the brotherhood that I did, you know, like I did back at Ranger Battalion. So it's still, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's different, man. It's different. And, if you have never been, it, it's hard to explain to people that, you know what I mean? It's hard for them to understand what we're talking about or, or to really uh, get a full grasp of it, man. Um, so once you went to um, RTB, man, like what was like, 
that had to been a huge culture shock for you. Actually, it wasn't. The nice thing is, is that, uh, so especially when you go to Florida phase, um, a lot of people are, will say during the AARs, uh, coming out of Ranger school, once you completed Ranger school, that, uh, that six RTB, six Ranger training battalions had the most mature and professional uh, RIs. Right. A lot of times that that's nature of the beast, nature of the training, because by the time you're kind of micromanaged a little bit and Darby phase, right. and then you get to mountains and you're still a little bit micromanaged because you're still working in smaller groups and everything, right. but the safety level and, uh, and mountains is such that it's so easy to get somebody lost, uh, that they have to have a thumb on you. But right. when you get to Florida phase, it's run, it's walk, it, it's crawl, walk, run. So when you get to Florida phase, the RIs don't dictate what you do as much. It's more of a sit back and observe and grade you. Right. Because by this point, you should know what you're doing. Right. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily just because the RIs there are more professional. I think it's nature of the training uh, and it gives a perception of that. Right. But... When I but when you think about who becomes our eyes from from the big army, is it's usually individuals who care about ranger training and uh, and I was lucky in the sense that I went from a organization where most everybody had a ranger tab to another big army trade organization where everybody, everybody had a ranger. Tab. I was gonna say where everybody has a ranger tab. <laughs> so it was a very nice transition where I was able to start to acknowledge the differences between the big army and Ranger battalion. Uh, so I was, it was, it was a nice little. <laughs> right, right, you know, right. I got, I, got it. I got spit on a little bit first. Oh <laughs> uh, man. So let me ask you this, man. Um, so from there, you ended up going to to Olga, right? From there, shortly after that. No, I went to no, I went to Hawaii. Yeah, that, that, so my so my career path has been horrible. I mean, I went from Savannah, Georgia, to Dustin, Florida, to Hawaii. Oof. I remember you going to Hawaii. I remember. I remember and you then, going to Hawaii. DC. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I went from vacation destination to vacation destination to vacation destination it's been rough it was, right. it was really rough <laughs> now that's the plus side of growing up in ranger regiment and being uh, being ranger tabbed and being uh falling under ranger branch is when you know your your branch managers it's easy to give them a call and say hey i want to go there right. uh it's even easier when uh the who's who of, of of army leadership knows who you are and what you bring to the table and they're out. in charge of units and that they can put in a by name request for you. So big shout out to uh, Sergeant, uh, retired command Sergeant Major Ray Devins for uh, pulling me to Hawaii from from uh, Florida. Hell yeah, uh, man. But yeah, we went there. We went there for three years and uh, I was actually uh, platoon sergeant and first sergeant with uh, uh, Patty Ferreter, one of the great uh, General Ferreter's sons who yeah. also served in range battalion with us. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, I went there three years there with uh, Ray Devins and Patty Ferreter and uh, and another a couple other uh, guys from regiment and senior leadership positions. And then uh, then I put in a, a call to the old guard, which I couldn't even believe I got accepted that because I'm about an inch and a half to two inches too short for that unit. Yeah. Uh, so what I Ray so, Devins, uh, go ahead. So, so just real quick, just so for people that are listening, um, 
it's it's pretty strict, like height wise and all that shit, right? Like there's certain requirements that you got to have, yes. right? Like like so, what are some yeah, of the requirements yeah. for that anyway? Well, the height is the big thing. Height and weight are big things. Um, I think they tend, I think they overlooked my height on my, on my, uh, ER or my SRB because of who wrote my letter of recommendation, which is part of the, uh, application packet. And then my DA photo. So I think they looked at my DA photo and who wrote my letter and was like, yeah, he's good. Uh, because Ray Devins again at the time was the eighth army command sergeant major over in Korea. Yep. And, uh, and, uh, then, uh, my DA photo at the time I'd just gotten it taken for the EA, the E eight board. And I was fighting. I was very active in mixed martial arts fighting professionally over in Hawaii at the time. So I was, I was walking into that job with a 17 and a half inch neck, a 44 inch chest and a 31 inch waist. So I had a nice, I had a nice, nice little V taper going. Hello. Hold on a second. I think we got a little. You there? Yep. All right, I got you. Sorry about that, guys. So, uh, so yeah, when I got to the old guard, the first thing my command sergeant major said was, uh, "You look taller in your DA photo." I was like, "On oh my, I didn't lie on my SRB. It says five nine. Right. He said, "Well, we should put you in case on platoon. Everybody looks tall on a horse." I was like, "Here we go." <laughs> So at the old guard, it was funny because I was almost a full head shorter. I was at least three inches shorter than the next uh, next shortest first sergeant there. So I was the I was the tiny guy standing in front of formations. Because what is it? Six six foot, right? Six eleven, or no five eleven five eleven for for men and five nine for females. Oh wow. Yeah, so I was shit. I wouldn't even cut it, man. I'm five ten. Yeah, so I wouldn't even fucking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, man. So, were you still at that time? Were you still doing? Were you still fighting? No, they. Uh, I had to. I had to take a break from fighting when I got to the old guard. They don't. They don't take too kindly to you showing up with black eyes and and busted lips ah, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, that, presenting flags to mourning families. So. That makes so, sense. Yeah, the old guard is the face of the army. Yeah. So it, you gotta. Yeah, I couldn't. I would train because Matt Larson had a place out there. Who's the uh, the founder of the Modern Army Combatant Program? Right. Uh, he had a place out there that I would go train at on occasion. But uh, but now I had to take a break. That was when. That was kind of when I. Not kind of. That was when my wife broke me into the other stuff that I do now. Uh, Which couldn't get punched in the face. She's like, we might as well take pictures of you. Yeah. So since since you just brought that up, I have been honestly waiting to get to this point because I'm very curious. How the fuck <laughs> did you get into fucking modeling, bro? Like, <laughs> I have no idea because this is all scar tissue. This isn't what I looked like 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, so. I told the wife that I needed something else to do that I was going stir crazy. I'm like, I, you got to find me something to do. Right. So, uh, I was having to get up at, I was having to leave the house at four, four thirty in the morning because at the old guard, you got to be in the cemetery to do what you call, uh, you essentially recon the position, the places that you're doing ceremonies for the day, right. uh, to kind of mark out where everybody's going to be and what's, everything's going to happen. Cause that's why it looks so sharp is because it starts crazy early in the morning. Uh, but I'm laying there. So I'm, I'm in bed. It's like 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. My wife's laying next to me and she's on social media. And, uh, 
those who don't know who she is, uh, Mary Wonderstub, uh, female Army EOD tech who was blown up and lost both of her arms and, and one of her breasts and the blast, uh, posed for a photographer named Michael Stokes, and they depicted the Venus de Milo statue, the old Greek statue with no arms, yeah, uh, female statue, and she's yeah. got the sash over uh, so they depicted that and, and her breasts were, were showing, which wasn't a violation of social media platforms because it was reconstructive surgery. Right. And that's what it was showing was reconstructive surgery. Well, a bunch of people bitched about it and said it wasn't, it wasn't uh, right for, for social media. So it got banned for a little while, uh, but not before it made its round and everybody was protesting it being banned. Right. And uh, Michael Stokes had been shooting, uh, uh, wounded veterans for a little while and, and made his fame there and had millions of followers had actually even been brought up on, on the view with those psychos. Won't, we won't get into that though. Uh, yeah. But my wife sees the Milo thing was like, well, let me look into this. So she started searching it, started looking up the, the photographer and, and almost all of his, all the people that he worked with were male, male models. Right. So she was like, my husband can do this. She looked over there at me. And so she sent him a picture of one of my fight photos um, and an email stating, hey, I think my husband meets your demographic. Uh, wasn't sure if you'd be wanting to, if you would be interested in doing a shoot with him. Right. Well, story, he contacted her back within five minutes. She's like, I would love to shoot for us. <laughs> so she looked over at me was like, he's going to kill me. Next day, I'm in the cemetery uh, on the bus, just come off a mission. I, uh, you can't take your cell phone on a mission with you. Right. So every time I get on the bus, I'm checking emails on my phone for work. And I look at one of my messages is from the wife and she says, Hey, I got your job. Uh, check out this link. Don't get upset. Right. So I click on it. I'm like, Oh crap. Cause I'm surrounded by all my guys. And, and, uh, it's a bunch of, pretty much nude male models. Right, right, right. And I'm like, whoa. So I click off it and I message her. I'm like, what the hell are you sending me this for? And luckily none of my guys saw it. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they'd be like, oh, first I'm just looking at. Like what right. the fuck is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what the fuck is yeah. he looking at? Right. Well, she says, this is the gig. You're doing a photo shoot with this guy in like two months. I'm like, wait, what? What? No. Like this, I'm not, I'm not this. This isn't who I am. Right. I don't look like these guys. I'm, I can't do this. I've never done any of this. She's like, well, look up the photographer and, uh, and, and check him out. Just calm down. So I'm looking at him. I'm doing some homework. The guy does phenomenal charity, charity work. The guy gives tens of thousands of dollars a year to char- to military charities. Oh, wow. To veteran charities. Um, so I'm like, all right, fine. I'm like, how long? I was like, I still, I'm not this quality guy. I can't do this. She said, well, he and I both think you can. So get ready. I said, how long? Two months. So you call him back, tell him three, because I got some work to do. Uh, three months later, I show up in L.A., we do the shoot, and this guy is, is well off as he's doing with the photos and is, is as famous as he is for him. He posts photos of me, and they blow up. Really? More positive reactions photos of me than any other person that he'd worked with at the time. So uh, that led into a second shoot and being published in a few of his books and being featured in his 2020 calendar, uh, three months out of the calendar. And uh, so that's how that got started. And uh, the military spouse community, uh, who my wife has been very active with, uh, 
started picking up on it and they've started saying, Hey, he should do romance novels. And, uh, one of them put me in contact with, uh, a writer who was a Navy veteran. And that was my first book cover. And then it just kind of took off from there. Jeez, man. So for now I got 22 covers out. So for people that don't know, um, what we're talking about that you do covers for, for novels, yeah, romance novels. Yeah, romance novels, man. I remember seeing that and I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, what the yeah, fuck? Yeah, I got a couple guys, a couple prominent guys that have very, very well off businesses uh, in the community that are like, that pick on me constantly. Like, they're like, yeah, you were definitely the sexiest motherfucker <laughs> from our career group. I'm like, shut up, dude. Bro, the. The thing is, man, like I love, I love seeing, you know, everybody's growth, uh, especially people that you've known for so fucking long, you know what I mean? And you see people, yeah. everybody retiring and you see their growth and you see everybody doing, you know, all these great things. And you're just like, man, like it, it feels good to be among such go-getters and, you know what I'm saying? Successful people, man. You know what I'm saying? To be amongst those circles of people. Um, it's, it's, it's motivating man to see everybody getting at it so like when i saw you doing that i bro i ain't gonna lie man i was like yo that's dope as shit man i was like my dude out here my shit's dope as fuck man um it's, it's weird though because i've been involved in my daughters are like dad like you've done so many different things and i don't know if my wife's gonna watch this later but i've i've actually even talked about potentially getting involved in in politics and 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 maybe maybe uh running for a senate seat in the state of north carolina shut the fuck up so so yeah i mean it's i can't sit still but i'm also one of those people like i can't stand to sit around a bitch about things yeah and not try to do things do something to make it better so uh we'll see it's not a for sure set in stone thing yet but but yeah i just i just can't seem to decide what i want to do when i grow up <laughs> How many covers did you say you did, man? Like I can't. Even... Uh, t- twenty-two now. Still, some still haven't been released quite yet, but twenty-two uh, images have sold, and the images sell for so much that there's no way they're not going to use them. So, bro, that's when they, nuts. When they spend that kind of money. There's definite, uh, definite covers coming out. That is nuts, man. So and now they're wanting me to narrate for audiobooks, so we'll see where that goes. Um, are you just so at this point now, are you done fighting? Yeah, unfortunately. I just had my third spine surgery in three three years. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of having to stop. It sucks. I'll still I'm still training people. Um I'm still training people. I've I've trained helped train uh at least six world champions in kickboxing and mixed martial arts. So, uh, and now I'm joining a team of, of professionals, uh, training civilians and, and celebrities alike in tactical shooting and, and self-defense and stuff. So, That's dope. so I'm still teaching. I'm just not able to compete at in mixed martial arts. I'll still compete in jujitsu tournaments and stuff like that. But when it comes to the mixed martial arts thing, it's a little too high impact for my body anymore, unfortunately. And I get the itch every time I watch a fight, especially when I see somebody that I trained with out there making money and being in the cage. Are you just, are you just at a point now 
are you just at a point now where, you know, because earlier in the conversation, I heard you say something about, uh, you know, like now you just are kind of more or less relaxing now and just kind of enjoying the, the fruits of your labor type thing. Like, are you kind of like, like, even though you see, you know what I'm saying? People doing all that. I mean, you've, you've got a ton of great things going on. Like, like, are you just kind of like, all right, man, I'm chill now. Like, I'm just enjoying this life. You it's, know what I mean? It's more about the experiences than the money. I mean, I'm, right. I'm retired. I, I obviously draw uh, VA disability and stuff. Um, I mean, I don't have to work. Right. So when I work, it's because I want to, right. and I'm having fun doing the things I'm doing. And that's the big thing is, is I busted my ass for 21 years in the army. And now that I'm out, it's time to, it's time to really start enjoying lives. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade my 20, my 21 years in for anything in the world, uh, made great, buddies, yeah. friends like you yeah, man. and Adam breeding yeah. and a number of other, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, really life is just beginning. So it is, man. Um, you know, another thing you said, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of like reflecting back. Um, it's, 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 it's funny you say that because now that I'm getting ready to retire here, in, like in the next couple of months, I look back and I'm doing so much reflecting on everything mm-hmm. that's happened and, you know, yeah. not to go back to, to what you said, but like, I am at the same point that you were where I'm like, did I do enough? Like, did I, yeah. did I do everything that I could? Like, could I've done more? Did I cut myself short? Did I cheat myself? You know what I mean? Like... There was a time, um, I would say maybe a year ago, where I was literally down on myself because I was like, I could have done more. Like, I cheated myself. Like, there's so much more that I could have done. Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? But then I think that just goes with with the type of people we are. Uh, because I mean, like you said, man, 20 fucking one years, you know what I'm saying? 20 years that we do so, and, and, and not even just, you know, and, and not to take away from anybody else of what they do in the military, but I'm only talking about people like us in our community. You know what I'm saying? That come from what we've done. It's a very high intense fucking lifestyle, man. It's, it's very intense. You know what I mean? Uh, so at the 20 years you look back I think the reason we look at it like we didn't do much is because everything was such a blur because it was so yeah, moving so absolutely. fucking fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll say, I'll say my mark, my mark of whether or not I did enough was the leaders that I'm leaving behind. Right. The subordinate leaders I'm leaving behind. If right. I did enough to positively influence those individuals, then my time is continuing on. I don't have to be there for my time to be, for for me to still be doing something because I'm still doing something through their actions. To me, to me, my accomplishments weren't my successes. My accomplishments were the successes of my leaders that mentored me. Right. The uh, Chris Greca's, the Tony Thomas's, the, the Doug Greenway's, uh, the Joe Votels, those right. guys, my successes are their successes. My successes are going to be what the soldiers that I coached, taught, mentored achieve. And not to take away from, and it's weird because it's a kind of a strange concept in the sense that their accomplishments are their accomplishments. Right. They're the ones that are doing it. But I, But that's my mark of, that's the mark of my success to me is did I help influence them enough in a positive way for them to help them achieve what they're achieving? Right. So. Um, man. So 
Real quick, I one question for you uh, before we start wrapping it up that I didn't ask that I've been meaning to ask. Your spine surgeries. So third one. Um, how like what happened? Uh, just wear and tear. I got degenerative disc disease through my entire spine, and then uh, arthritis through my whole upper body, just because I beat my body apart. Right. Um, I mean, my my daughter's boyfriends are sometimes like, well, I don't know if I want to be in the army because look at your dad. He's all like, he's 17 surgeries in, he's all beat up. He's 40 years old. And he has a hard time moving around. Yeah. I really don't have a hard time moving around. Like I can do anything, but it's kind of that whole, uh, Toby Keith song. And I'm not as good uh, as, as I uh, once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Right. Uh, right. So don't, don't, don't think that you're getting over. Don't think that I can't still whip that ass. But, <clears throat> but at the same time, um, my daughters are like, yeah, but my dad did. Like, he went above and beyond in some cases. Not everybody had to be the combatives guy. Exactly. For the range of his hand. Not everybody had to jump out of planes for 16 years out of their out of their career. Right. Not everybody does had to fight professionally uh, and train with some of the freak monsters that I've trained with, and and a lot of a lot of what I've done, a lot of the injuries that I have are because I chose to be that guy and I've loved every minute of it, but I'm also one of those guys that I, I thrive off misery. Like I genuinely enjoy the misery and the pain right. and the grind right. of doing things, which is why I'm 40. And even though my body hurts, I'm still in the gym getting it. I know. I see you, I'm man. Having- <laughs> Bro, I'm, I'm, yeah. I think I saw you. I, mean, I, got- I think I saw a, a, a picture so I saw uh, you going into surgery and then it was like shortly afterwards is you in a gym. And I was like, what the fuck, man? I was like, this dude just don't fucking stop. Like, <laughs> I can't remember how much the yeah, time I, period was, but it was enough for me to go, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I've had my neck surgery twice in a year and a half. And uh, and yeah, as soon as they cleared me, I was back in the gym. It just, yeah, that's who I am, dude. I can't, I can't not do it. So... I'm so I got told that I need uh, uh, fusions in my neck. Uh, I've got you know degenerative shit from like C three to C seven. But my doctor was my surgeon was like, "You're way too young to even do that shit right now." You know what I mean? Like you're just too young. Has that shit helped you at all? It slowed things down definitely. Um, I've had some pretty significant neuropathy in my in my hands. Um, it's definitely helped now. Um, it's not so. So fusion's not meant to stop uh, to to fix the problem. It's meant to slow it down or stop it. Right. Uh, so if you've got issues already, it's meant to give you a little bit of pain relief and to prevent things from continuing to get worse. Uh, the downside is that it wears on the on the, the areas above and below where the fusion are. Yeah. Uh, but. But if you live a normal life afterwards, like that's why I'm not doing the big, heavy impact stuff and I'm smarter about what I do now. So um, it, it has helped me significantly yeah. because the chronic pain alone is, is enough to just drive you completely crazy, even though it's not intense. It's just it wears on you. I do have some neuropathy in my these three digits of my right hand, right. which is kind of interesting right. because I drop things, little things constantly. Um, but if something's the size of a barbell, for instance, right. I can, I can hold a 130 pound barbell with just these three fingers, even though I can't feel them. So right. it's, it's interesting. Um, damn. Um, I was, just, I was just about to ask you something. 
Sorry. No, 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 no. You're good. No, no, you're good. I should have wrote it down. I don't know. But um, anyways, man. Yeah. So that's so that that's what I'm scared of, man. Is because I so I want to get it done because the pain is just like it's it's starting to become too much. But at the same time, I'm like, bro, like I still want to continue skydiving like for fun when I get out. Like you know, I just still had, can. like I had a back fusion and um last last year was my was my second one and i'm like yo like i told i talked to my surgeon i was like like i still want to be able to do this shit you know what i mean i still want to be able to get out like mm-hmm. I, I i like i don't want my life to Absolutely. end like i don't want my life to end i still want to go do shit um but they've scared me so much that like you know right now is the time the skydiving season's opening up and i'm scared because i'm like fuck man like i don't want to go injured even worse you know what i mean like so scared so the man. big thing is just being smarter about how you do it i mean you right. still do it just be smarter about how you do it don't don't try and carry as little weight as you can be yeah. ready uh, tailor your your lifestyle away from those things uh, to allow you to have the energy and the and the strength to do those things that you genuinely love doing right. when it comes time to do those things, so that you're not going into a injury. Um, that that's the big thing is just accepting that you can still live that intense lifestyle, but you only live that intense lifestyle when it's time to live that intense lifestyle. Hmm. I like that, man. So, what is next, man? Like, what's next for you? This is it. We're building the house. Um, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing for as long as my body and will let me. And as long as there's a demand for it. Right. Um, you thinking about opening up a gym at all? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're actually in the works of doing it. So I, I just, I just got my license, my business license in North Carolina uh, for bully defense. Congrats. Um, appreciate it. When I was in the, uh, when I was in Ranger Battalion, uh, I was deemed the pit bull. <laughs> when it came to the combatives programs, yeah. uh, once I started fighting big time, uh, professionally, uh, the fans started calling me the American bulldog because I had an American bulldog and that kind of became my mascot. Right. Uh, so the business is called bully defense. It's a, uh, tactical and security consulting and, uh, instructing business. But along with that, it's essentially a parent business for all the other businesses that I'm wanting to start up right. with the uh, mixed martial arts gym and, and a fitness center and uh, the 1099 uh, independent contract work that I'm doing. Yep. So, so yeah, there's that. And, and the, the gym, I believe we're going to call it uh, militia MMA to kind of keep the military theme. Yeah. Uh, and that'll be right here in our town. Um, I like that, man. Bro, so you got a ton of shit going on, man. A lot of good, exciting stuff, actually. Well, like I'm, I said, I'm, forward. I'm busy. I'm busier now than I was when I was still active duty. But again, it's stuff. It's stuff. I, I do things when I want now, and it's stuff that I genuinely enjoy and love doing. So, right. Stuff that makes you happy, man. Um, I know we talked before, man. Um, but, you know, the next episode, I would like to um, hopefully maybe even get you and the. Uh, wife together, man. We do an, um, you know, say another episode. Yeah, um, I, th- I think it'd be really, absolutely. I think it'd be cool to get her perspective on, you know, cause she's, she was there from the beginning, man. So it'd be cool to see her perspective yeah. and y'all together, uh, you know, asking you and her some questions and, you know, seeing what her mindset was at at the times when you were, you know what I mean? When you were going through things and deployments and whatnot. And, uh, cause I know, 
I mean, I don't know what you were thinking, but I know enough to understand, you know what I'm saying? Maybe your thought process of things that were going on. Um, but it'd be cool mm-hmm. to, under, to, to hear some things from you and then hear her and the behind the scenes, I would more or less yeah. like to call it, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think that'd be really cool to get that man and see, uh, Absolutely. you know, see, uh, and hear her side of that. Um, but another thing, you know, one thing I've been saying lately to people and I, you know, and, and, and I continuously say it, man, um, nobody understands this, man. Like every successful, every successful man has a strong woman, a strong queen next to this. You know what I'm saying? He's got that woman who's just, you know what I'm saying? Right yes. next to his side, a strong, um, like it's, it's, I mean, if you look at, if you look at even within our, within our community, Tony Thomas, General Tony Thomas had Barb Thomas, his wife. Right. Joe Votel had Michelle. Right. Uh, Ray Devins had his, who he had, calls his queen. Yep. Uh, Chris Greca's wife, Marty Barreras, Melinda Barreras. All great, amazing, strong, independent, right? extremely supportive wives that definitely played an integral role in those individuals achieving what they achieved and getting where they were because just the sheer support, like right now, mine's a little aggravated because I'm supposed to be outside helping move pigs around, but we got a small farm going on now too. Nice. Um, But but she's like, how much longer? Sorry, babe. No, Uh, no, 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 I got you. (laughs) But, but, but again, my, I, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I've achieved without her support and having the, the, the peace of mind to know that things are taken care of back home. Of course. When I'm not. And to know that, that she's going to be there for and with me when I do have those hard times. Right. That's why I had such a hard time with that dark air, that dark time that I was talking about was that she wasn't physically there with me at the moment. Right. She called me constantly, but if she could have been there physically with me at the time, I wouldn't have had a, as hard a time. Right. And I, it was almost like I snapped right out of it as soon as I got to come home to her. So that's man. But yeah, she's right here. I got to get. Yep. Yep. I got you. Um, so, Hey, uh, one, you know, like I said, I always like to ask one question before we take off, man. Um, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but so if you were give any advice to anybody, you know, who's in right now, who might be listening to this and hear your story and who might be getting, you know, treated somehow by any leadership, how would you, how would, what kind of advice would you give that person on dealing with that? Like, you know what I'm saying? If you're getting bullied, like, like, yeah, like if you're getting bullied by, you know, leadership, even though we're in the military, how would you advise them to deal with a situation like that? Be be the positive influence. Be, uh, know that you're right. Always do the right thing. And if you always do and say the right thing, that you, the thing that you know is, is right, then nobody can question that. Right. Uh, I, I kind of always say there's a saying that, uh, nobody can make you feel guilty but you. Think people can say things and try to steer your your thought process and how you think and handle things emotionally and, and mentally, but in the end, you're the one that makes those decisions. So if you know in your heart the way you're doing is the right thing, don't let anybody else dictate uh, how you how you feel about that. So I, 
that's I'd probably just leave everybody with that. Thanks, just knowing your heart that what you do is the right thing. Man, bro, I appreciate it, man. You guys heard it, man. I appreciate y'all tuning in, Jose. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's an honor, man, and I hope Definitely. to get you back uh, on here in with your old lady. I appreciate everything. I appreciate your time, guys. Look out for him. Uh, where can people find you, man? Um, if they want to, you know, hook up with you, uh, contact you, uh, social media wise. <laughs> So I've got a professional Facebook account, uh, Jose Luis Barrero MMA. Uh, it's really easy to find. Um, honestly, at this point, you can Google my name, Jose Jose Barrero MMA. Right. And anything, any and everything will show up. And then um, my Instagram is jbarrero217. All right, man. You guys heard it, man. I appreciate it again. I appreciate y'all tuning in. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Jose. Anytime, brother. All right, man. Take it easy.